0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another podcast on Trek and Babel. This is Matthew. And this is Kevin. And we are going to do Voyager Season 3, uh, Year of Hell, Part 1. Um, one thing that I thought about going into this is that it happens relatively early in Season 3. Uh, cool. Since it, you know, compared to the introduction of 709 is what I'm sort of driving yeah. on. Yeah. Uh, it picks up of course on the sort of continuity foreshadowing that was done in season two in which uh is traveling uh sort of forward in time inside her own body or something whatever that meant and uh she mentions that there was a year of hell and you know her you know her her vision of course did not feature a reclaimed borg at all uh Nonetheless, I think it's cool that they went back to it.
1: I remember being annoyed that they brought back the Crenum, but then did not mention the fact that Kess explicitly like wrote down some intelligence about them after that after the incidents of before and after. Yeah, I really th- in retrospect, I literally think it's one of those when you mention like just mentioning the character might have caused the writer to need like you know an extra twenty five bucks or something, and did because that's that's why. Uh, Tom Paris is Tom Paris and not Nick Locarno, but it's just uh, one of those <laughs> funny things that how that works.
0: Yeah, I always sort of wondered about why that was left off. I mean, it's not essential to the story, it's just like when they go to the length of presaging it, you know, yeah. earlier, it just seems weird that they wouldn't then call back right. to
1: and it. And was Year of Hell, was it this one that was supposed to be the uh, cliffhanger until they wrote Scorpion, or is that a different was that Dark Frontier was supposed to be the cliffhanger? Like there were some. I remember reading there's some one of the cliffhangers was a last minute change, and what would have been the cliffhanger was made uh, an episode in the season.
0: I'm not sure about that. Let me look it up. Um, so, to this point in Voyager, uh, we have been introduced to Seven of Nine. Uh, she has sort of. I mean, what have they done? They've given her her silver cat suit, which was ridiculous. And then they also um, had the raven in between uh, the beginning of the season and this episode, in which she kind of suffers from PTSD flashbacks and sort of seeks out her parents' vessel on which she and her parents were assimilated. Uh, You know, and so... It just seems a little bit strange that, you know, she hasn't been completely integrated into the crew uh, yet. Um, and that's why it always seemed a little odd to me that it happened this quickly. So, indeed, if you're right about... Uh, so, just just some notes. Before and After was written by Kenneth Biller, uh, who generally did a lot of, you know, heavy lifting episodes, uh, you know, did things that were sort of dictated by editorial staff. Uh, Year of Hell is written by Brandon Braga and Joe Minoski. Uh, So, I mean, personally, let's see. Yeah, my feeling is that the reason they didn't do the callback is because it's Brandon Braga and he's kind of lazy sometimes i I don't know brandon braga personally this is purely a judgment based on watching some of his shows i feel like he's a big idea man and not a detail man and i love his big ideas and when he's paired with someone who can you know sort of hold his nose to the grindstone for the details we usually get a a tremendous (laughs) episode um you know so that that's the origin of my saying laziness you know i i don't I don't feel as though Brandon Bragg is a lazy person per se. It seems like he did a lot of work on Voyager and then, you know, in in subsequent, uh, you know, writing and directorial work that he's done on what was it called? Uh, Terra Nova and uh, Enterprise, of course, and Cosmos. He directed several episodes of Cosmos. Hmm. So, yeah, I'm not seeing anything about. Cliffhangers being repurposed uh, in this. So I'm gonna, I can't confirm your hypothesis, Kevin. All right, why don't we start and just uh, get going with this? So everybody should get their respective media ready and we will all press play in three, two, one, press play. Well, actually, wait. Three, two, one press play. I had to wait for the menu animation. This is a really neat digital map. Uh, I like this a lot. Actually. Yeah, I, I like the train going by. I like that they didn't uh, inc- just use the same like map that they've used for everything since Next Gen. It's a good call. The ship is neat looking and I really like the transition, of course, to the sort of natural uh, biosphere.
1: I like the about, uh of the timelines The uh, it's it's a it's an artistic effect that I like, and the the way the threads shift after each event was like a well realized. Yeah, it's a nice animation. Piece of art.
0: Absolutely. Well, and and it, it sort of neatly, of course, in a in a true timeline, you know, the number of interactions must be you know in, astronomical. Infinite, yeah. You know, but it's a nice way of visualizing it. The Crenum costumes are pretty decent, I have to say. Uh, The makeup is, you know, pretty lazy. It's your basic trill, you know, sort of stippling. Oh, yeah, here it is. Uh,
1: This episode was originally to have been Voyager's third season finale. Oh, okay. So uh, that was from Memory Alpha quoting one of the Star Trek magazines. And you can see, like, if if you've seen this episode before, you know the cliffhanger of this episode feels very much like a a season-ending cliffhanger.
0: Well, so why is that? I mean like, from the outset, it feels like it's more ambitious or something?
1: The stakes are higher. It's it, it's a more successful, I think, like, uh, at the end of Basics, I don't think anyone questioned that by the end of the next episode, Voyager would be back. It, like, its crew would be back on the ship, you know? Where, I think, by the end of this episode, you, you still know they're eventually going to get it back, but you really wonder, like, has something permanently changed? And of course, the answer's no, but, like, the, the, that end shot of, of, I believe it's the escape pods all yeah. leaving, just feels like,
0: holy shit. Yeah. No, and so hmm, to some degree, I mean, Scorpion was good. It was a good two-parter and it was a good cliffhanger and resolution so, to their credit, they made two really good two-parters. Oh, no, no, I agree. Like
1: it, I think it was once they realized, once they decided to add Seven of Nine, they needed to have a different cliffhanger but um
0: so i guess you know for to some degree that there must have been some reshuffling you know there must have been cast parts in the original pitch yeah and the original story and they must have had to try to work around that uh with the the refigured story which i guess they had some time then you know a couple extra months with the the off time between seasons to do that I mean Scorpion was good. So Oh yeah, I'm not saying
1: that like I'm not criticizing the substitution, I just it's just interesting to think about.
0: So that's a nice image. This looks like a real uh, Hubble Space Telescope image. Yeah. Oh, actually it can't be. Never mind. <laughs> it's the galaxy This is the introduction of the Stellar Cartography set on Voyager. Beautiful, I have to say. Uh, really nice graphic. It yeah. almost looks like an IMAX. Yeah, it has like a
1: planetarium feel. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I suppose
1: my only criticism of this set piece from a narrative standpoint is it puts a lot of... De- like I like the state, the, like this little proscenium arch we get where like Janeway can now walk around and look meaningfully while making decisions is it anchors a lot of action in Seven's office, essentially, and I think it contributes to the sense that now that Seven is here, we will focus on her at the expense of other characters, like we'll be in engineering less or we'll be on the bridge less because of this, and I I think it's just, uh, like, it's it's something I think about in
0: retrospect. So this new course is eliminating five years from the journey, and this is part of the trend of sort of progressively taking off chunks you know so kes sent them 10 years further along their course and this is uh sending us five you know shaving five years off of uh, their course of course for the narrative we're also giving this three-dimensional view of different uh territories in space also janeway's new haircut there you go uh anyway we've got these territories and we're gonna see these territories change uh which is a useful narrative device Okay, so it's these images in the background that are clearly Hubble Space Telescope images. Yeah. The Doctor is wearing his uh, autonomous emitter, which is good. I feel like this is one of the early times in this season that we're actually getting that again. They had him in sickbay several times, but they haven't really shown us him wearing the emitter. The images in the background are really nice. They, they really add visual interest to the scene. The Okudas uh, and you know, the set designers, I know Voyager is not a lot of people's favorite show, but I think Voyager is visually probably the most interesting show of the three uh, sort of new Star Trek shows.
1: I, I get that. It feels like what Next Gen would have been, had it been made in the 90s with... A, yeah, bigger budget, yeah, better... And more experienced people, and better tech. Yeah, I get that.
0: How do you feel about Janeway's hair?
1: It's a it's a, it's a good haircut. It's, uh... The, the bob they settle on, I think, toward the end of this season is far and away the best. Um Yeah, I I think in order um I think my favorite is the bob we get for the back half of the show. This is close. This is like in a second or third place. I like the ponytail action we were getting at the start of this season end of last season. Um the bun it was a nice idea, but I think it just always it just always looked a little complex for a for a day to day wear situation.
0: So we're getting this day device too. So here are the Zoll. Um... I like their makeup. Their makeup is pretty well done. I like the zoot suit he's wearing. Yeah. They picked a good actor. He's very sort of charming and officious. He seems very much kind of like an ambassador or a glad hander. A single ship alone, half a galaxy from home. How exciting for you. So the conference room is on that side of the bridge and the ready room is on the other side of the bridge. I feel like that's very rarely established. We rarely get that shot of them coming from that direction. Ah, Spatial distortion. I'm interested in how they can detect this from so far away at, well, at light speed.
1: Yeah it's, yeah, it's also one of those um, questions of if you change the timeline relative to the, like, the like how fast would you register changes? Yeah.
0: Should the changes propagate at light speed in a wave? Like
1: or maybe, should they be instantaneous or, or what?
0: Yeah, I mean, oh gosh, I'd have to really think about that. So I like the mechanism by which they don't change, uh, and it's because they're anomalous to the scenario as opposed to some sort of techno babble And you know, It's like, oh, we had a field around our ship. Right? Well, they'll get
1: that in the second half, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, sure. I'm just saying as far as the fact that they, they're not changed. And they've done a good job of sort of immediately changing uh the Crenum here. Yeah. And giving them a better, you know, they've changed the lighting, they've changed the costume, the actor is sort of more, you know, smug. Yeah. The Crenum Imperium. a chance for Mulgrew to show her steel. Yeah, so the ship is larger. This is turning into the week of hell. It's a well-written show. I mean, we know it's called Year of Hell. It's been referred to in prior episodes, and so it's a nice bit of foreshadowing.
1: What, what I enjoyed about this episode, especially the first half, was in a way, it's what I thought the first season of Voyager really should have been. And um, I know I've made the comparison to the first season of Battlestar Galactica several times, but I think it holds here. There's a real sense that they could really lose, that they don't have the ability to, like, maybe let alone survive, let alone continue to function at, at full capacity for a Federation starship. And and that's something that's an idea I find interesting, and really the one that's allegedly the core of the show. Yeah, I agree with you. So, so really digging into that and watching what happens is super fun.
0: So here's our time ship again. It's a nice design. It looks to be. Purely CGI. Yeah, the texture reminds me of uh, Babylon 5. Yeah, I was going to say, it's very Babylon 5.
1: Uh, Kerwin Smith is a good actor. He has a good, like, just a presence. And, like, he's the, he, was, he was the Federation president. He was an episode of DS9. I think Thrax was his name. So he just has a...
0: Well, and when you compare this to what he's best known for,
1: you with know... With the dad from that 70s show.
0: I mean, it's clear he has range. He really gives... Uh, weight dramatic weight to this performance you know you as much as you might disagree with him you at least understand his emotional uh sort of background and we're i like that this story is not explaining the lack of hair just yet yeah you know it's just it's something that is clearly special to him and the way that he treats it uh indicates that yeah I like this sort of dialogue uh, thing that they do, counterindications, you know, uh, 98% restoration. You know, and they keep doing this as they go forward. But the way he gives this reading here, the colony at Kiana Prime. Well, they're having a conversation like two people who know what they're talking about. Yeah, they're not giving it all to us, and they're not stopping the conversation in the middle to preserve drama, and so their their interplay here. You know, then our mission has failed. He wants a one hundred percent restoration. Begin calculations. His first officer here is like, "What? What the hell's wrong with you? Yeah. you know, it's like we're gonna undo everything we've done." And so he's got the same old kudograms, you know, in yeah. sort of lucite form here, trying to like think about them. It's just, it's really. Well-layered, well-textured science fiction.
1: Well, it's like I, I just watched, and this is the most random jump I'm ever going to make in a conversation, I just watched the riff tracks of uh, Batman and Robin, a terrible movie. Uh, But the uh, th- this performance puts me in mind of, uh, of Mr. Freeze, that kind of... He's trying to restore his wife. Right, that, that, and that same detached, academic, tortured, like, it, it makes sense. And I'll say, like, this is a good villain because he's... He's much closer, like, like, you understand his motivation even if you don't agree with his actions. Like, that's a good villain, or at least an entertaining one.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, really, given the technology, who of us would not at least consider yeah. trying to change history in some way? Whether it's our own personal history or, you know, some aspect of the world's history. I, I am a bit mystified... By this notion that they've been at this for hundreds of years and haven't been aging like they just sort of they throw it out there as yeah. something that's true and they never really yeah for even a half explanation yeah. for it they're outside of time or something well then how can they like Accum- metabolize food or accumulate new memories or yeah. something yeah so it, it's eh. <laughs> i mean i can live with it but it's eh. Day 32, and we're seeing accumulating damage on the ship, which is, of course, good. I do wonder why they haven't cleaned up the bridge a bit more. But it's a good visual indication. Yeah. And it, it, it does add drama. I mean, they've, they've bashed the set pretty well. Good question. How many (laughs) torpedoes do we have left? Her hair is being dressed in an interesting no-shower kind of way. Yeah. The structural collapse slash shields failing slash whatever in X number of minutes or at X percentage Uh, That's something Braga relies on a bit too much, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's okay in this story. Wow, those torpedoes did a good job. That was a nice explosion, by the way. Yeah. The benefit of CGI is that it allows them to do really elaborate explosions.
1: Yeah, because I've gone on record as being deeply annoyed by the explosion behind which the ship just disappears.
0: It's always kind of raised the question to me about the ship's construction, that they have these sort of portholes that are airtight, but there's only one or two of them on any given deck. Yeah. Uh, this is a nice dramatic moment, of course. And it's played well by Picardo. Yeah. And a very nice effect, I say. No, yeah,
1: I, I will say, when I watched that scene the first time, I, it was it, it, I felt two emotions very powerfully. One, like... Wow, I can't, I can't believe they did that. Two, I think it it did cue off in my head
0: that we were probably hitting the reset button by the end of the episode. Yeah. No. It, it, Anyone who's been watching Star Trek to this point is probably, yeah, already primed for that. I agree with you. Yeah, it's it's like when the Enterprise blows
1: up and cause and effect. You're just like, Well, clearly there's a fix and an explanation and
0: Well, and so being well-versed Star Trek fans, uh, you know, the question then becomes not are they going to reset it, but are they going to reset it in a satisfying way?
1: Yeah, which we'll get to in the uh, second round. Okay, Janeway's tone of voice when she demands the damage report and, like, the, you know, clean up the bridge, what's left of it in line, she's starting to, like, get frayed around the edges, and that's the interesting, most interesting part of this story for me is this episode more than... I think any other, with a couple of exceptions, maybe Equinox, um, really pushes Janeway to the limit. And that's super fun to watch.
0: There's the episode in The Void where she's yeah. depressed, which is yeah. really
1: good. Yeah. Like, there's just something about, like, seeing her really lose it. And it's, it's a lot more, and it's su- by the second episode when she's just keep practically keelhauling people.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, to... I got I got to single out the set bashing for props here. Yeah, I mean, part of Voyager's appeal, if you'll go with me on mm-hmm. this, is the. I mean the the visual appeal the the beauty of the vision they give us of twenty fourth century life. The, the ship is more uh, utilitarian to some degree than the Enterprise D, but. The graphic and sort of set design perspective is so unified in this show. I said it when we did the first episode, when we did the pilot. The look of this show really does not change from the pilot to the finale. And that's not a criticism. It's because it was so perfectly realized from the beginning. From the sound of the doors opening to the, the look of the graphics to you know, the, the chairs to the, the teal accents, you know, like it's it's perfectly realized. And so to my mind, Voyager is sort of a crystallization of the best design aspects of TNG and to bash it like this when it, it's such a sort of unified, well done vision to bash it like this and have it stay bashed for whole episodes, for two whole episodes. It's really jarring. Uh you know, in, in TNG, they show us little tiny snippets. Like in Parallels, they show us, yeah. you know, the, the Borg universe Enterprise, and it's, you know, uh, it's trashed. And, and, and that's upsetting. I can't, I can't help but feel
1: that Teacup was a bit of an homage to uh, Star Trek 6. Sure,
0: sure. And the fact that that deck is still open to space. Yeah, like the, the Gaping
1: Wound deck was gorgeous.
0: This is a bit of a call out to disaster. Yeah. In TNG, being stuck in a turbo lift. This is interesting dialogue, too. The holographic version of To Catch a Thief. And uh, Harry is right here. It is Cary Grant, not Clark Gable. Pariseu Squares. The the rules of this game are odd. Like, how much detail do they need to be declared right? Yeah. Harry's a true sports aficionado, apparently. Something we've never heard about before. Uh, Here is, of course, the call-out to First Contact. You know, if anybody is good at pain acting, I want to say it's Roxanne. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Biggs Dawson. Um, she's that's better, Rox- better than most. That's she, she, Dawson, no she, I yeah. but I believe it was Biggs Dawson at this point. <laughs> no, no, she was Dawson in the credits. Ah, so she hasn't yet married Casey Biggs. No,
1: she, she divorced him when the show started.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> There's our deep cut trivia. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, anyway... Pain acting can be either sort of annoying or, ew, orgasmic, you know? Yeah. And she does neither. I mean, she really, I don't know if it's a class you take at Juilliard or, you know, like, right? You know, or if it's a method acting thing, but she gets into it and it feels like real pain. It's a nice comedy beat The Seven of Nine gets the answer. Yeah. And of course, she's like completely unruffled, you know. But well, she also hasn't been in the episode much. You almost get like,
1: you can kind of see the seams on where they transition this from the end of season three to the middle of
0: season four. Yeah, I could see that. You know, it, it, this is a very dark setup. Um,. But I never felt bored. Like they kept enough lights on to keep it interesting, and they're not doing the strobe thing too much. Like these yeah. are accent lights that are strobing, not the primary lights that are strobing. Um, I, I guess the fact that the uh, the red alert lights are still there <laughs> is helping. The dust and all of the. The keypads, yeah, is very upsetting to my OCT.
1: Well, I I liked uh, in her ready room the like all the chunks left uh, like charcoal dust. Like there was like a real sense that this wasn't just stuff; it was burned stuff.
0: So I like the call out, but I just how do they have the resources to try to create you know sort of transverse bulkheads? but it's nice that Tom is... The, I knew your fixation with history would come in handy someday. It's already come in handy in the 37s, right? <laughs> it's interesting that the mess hall is the sort of new sick bay and that Tom Paris' uh, nursing experience yeah. is being called back too. That's nice. Oh, I guess her hair is a bit ruffled. It's over the ear here. Yeah,
1: and it's it's, 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 a, it's it's got a gloss that says she hasn't yeah. conditioned today. I love those magnetic doodads for the, uh...
0: Yeah, I, they've had those since, uh... TNG. In the, uh... Starship one, yeah. Did they have them before that? I mean, I feel like Data's open doors just with his strength. Yeah. But I think the actual magnetic doodad... And I want to
1: say this prop is the
0: prop from before and after when, when Kess does it. It sure looks the same. It's nice looking. I really like the sort of jagged yeah. feel of it. They're just they're doing a great job subverting expectations of sets. And I, I know I'm sort of reiterating this many times, but
1: just I liked her. I, I liked uh, Jerry Ryan's ro- line reading there. Arrive quickly. Yeah, she really she handles the techno babble well.
0: Mm-hmm. Very well. So we've got Talon Valana. Their romance has already begun, of course, yeah. because Day of Honor is before this episode. Yeah.
1: Ruptured vertebra wow. Those are not those
0: are not fun. Yeah. You know, some nice drama, though. Um, You know, of course, Tom wants to help his lover. Yeah. uh, But he's being called upon to perform triage. The doctor seems to be having some ill effects from his uh, utilitarian dilemma earlier in the episode. Really nice line reading. Yeah. by robert duncan mcneil he does sort of sarcasm and under your breath stuff a lot better than some people but he always can dial it back you know he, he plays empathy really well too i really like robert duncan mcneil i've, I've been a fan since uh, the first duty I like him. He, he's not a personal favorite or anything, but he's he's good. I just feel like there's a lot of depth in reality. See, like, the way he pitches his face here, you know, he's been snotty, but now he... It's not like he's empathic in the Troy way. Like, he's still annoyed, Yeah. but there's enough in him to know that he should be also there for another person. I like the glowing I like the way they painted the sort of char yeah uh, heck Tim Russ has always been good at techno battle too maybe maybe it's what led to their overuse of techno battles having so many actors yeah. who were so good at it I will say I I don't know the exact moment we're we
1: we have not reviewed a few of the intermediate episodes yet, but there's a they they dialed back the like height of her face appliances for her board makeup. They're much more like flush with her skin and i just noticed it just paid attention to it now in the close up of her face. I'm curious when they started when they changed that.
0: Like I just feel like you would clean some of these hallways. I'm not talking like a full sweep and vacuum, but just to get some of the large chunks out of the way so you don't trip and fall. Yeah. Quarters are close. Nerves are frayed.
1: It's nice stuff. Yeah, it just this is the stuff I wish had been a little more present in in season
0: one, like that giant beam on the chair in the bridge. You know. This is some of the stuff for Janeway that you were mentioning. And this is when it starts to get... It's like Chakotay is making a gesture. She's lost track of time, but she's also... She disdains the gift, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Is that supposed to be a mustache on Chakotay? Yeah,
1: they really should have just gone full
0: beard. Because the fact that it doesn't go full beard makes it just look like a smear. Yeah. But it's right on his mustache, you know? Like, did he wipe his hand on his face? Ah, so we can recycle.
1: Well, it just seems like if you could recycle the watch, recycle some of those
0: beads, All the rubble, yeah. Here's our Schindler's List moment, <laughs> and she's quite right, of course. If you can recycle replicated goods, then you know they're not in a scenario where gifts are a yeah. worthwhile luxury. They still have water, apparently. This is quite a shaving imp- implement. <laughs> I feel like they've done a pretty good job, or Tim Russ is doing a pretty good job with blind acting here. This
1: is one of those times where I think the uh, alien dude, like, I don't know, like, that's just not, you. first, why is he shaving dry? That makes no sense to me. Well, he's dipping it in water, but that's it. You know, that's still ridiculous. Yeah.
0: I don't know, dude. Yeah, with that thing across your neck. With that
1: scimitar you got going, if you sneeze at the wrong time, I mean.
0: Ah, inverse. Now we know things are getting serious. Whenever things are inverted. Yeah,
1: the reversed (laughs) polarity. Yeah.
0: Especially with a blind guy walking around the ship, it seems like they should remove obstacles on the floor.
1: Um, one, one note that I like is that he is taking her arm,
0: yeah. uh, not
1: her taking his. I read somewhere that uh, blind people really hate that if someone takes their arm to like drag them somewhere, which mm. makes total sense. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's th- that's a nice touch. I wonder if like LeVar Burton was hanging around and been like, hey, <laughs> I did my homework.
0: I love that Neelix is still calling him Mr. Vulcan. Neelix is finally getting his uh, security job that he's always been angling for. It's <laughs> a bit of a lost in space call out, I think. So, here's what you were mentioning, you know, sort of the, the new way of insulating them, which is temporal shielding, which has the ironic and interesting side effect of sort of locking in these changes uh, to their ship, which of course sets up the galactic reset at the end.
1: I kind of wish we got to see, like, the little braille dots, like, pop up on the... On the control panel, but that's a tiny complaint. I like that they thought of it.
0: Yeah, they, they called it out. That's nice.
1: I like Janeway's, like, catcher stance in her chair. <laughs> like, Borg efficiency.
0: Temporal shields are holding. You know, and I like Janeway's sort of switch. She's ready to kick ass and take names now. her face how do you feel about the rolled up sleeves it uncomfortably reminds me of Riker in Generations (laughs) I've always so I I love the the sci-fi idea they have this technology and you know they can try to alter the timeline I've always just wondered if annihilating planet is the only function that the yeah. ship can do. Like, can they just change one person's life? Can they undo? So there's some dialogue later that talks about sort of undoing and redoing and undoing and redoing. You know, like different races disappearing and then reappearing. Like, can they, yeah, do they only have a species delete button? Diminishing. There, like what is it that that their beam is doing, right? Does the yeah. beam like travel back in time and sterilize the world or See, they're reading something 20 light years away. (laughs) Does that mean it took 20 years? for this? I I I always thought
1: thought subspace propagated faster, so they were getting some kind of subspace reading.
0: That's just sort of the cheat of the Star Trek universe. Yeah. The temporal sheeting protected them from being reset. Uh Uh-oh because now the ship has gone back to its sort of dinky status. You know, it, I will say it's a little cute. Not enough to derail the episode for me, but it's a little cute that the episode is like still in the same position and it still has the same crew member talking right, to them. Right, 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 right. Their job has slightly changed. Yeah. You know, it's like maybe there should be no Crenum. So, but it's neat now that they can see the changes. Right. You know, because of course they've been insulated. Something went wrong. So, Oberst was right if you keep messing around, you might undo all the good yep. work done. And they can read anomalous temporal readings 20 light years away, too.
1: That is some good nitpicking, my friend. That is that is some
0: fine grain. Well, you know, I've, I've just... I've been reading a lot about relativity and, you know, time can contract and expand in the same way that, you know, uh, space and gravity and energy, you know, like these things all have effects on each other, but the, the rule is always hard and fast that nothing can propagate at greater than light speed. Space can expand at greater than light speed because nothing's actually moving in space. It's space itself that is expanding, but no no energy or object can move faster, Right. And so I would have to believe them that time... I don't know. It, I'm only nitpicking because I love. It doesn't drag me out of the episode. So, I, again, I, I really like these three-dimensional diagrams. you got to wonder how a
1: like border that looks like a wall in space is actually maintained in vast interstellar depth. That's a thing that's always nagged me, but...
0: Well... I just like that they're doing this in three dimensions, and they're sort of rotating perspective to give you yeah. uh, an image of what it looks like. The damage to astrometrics, astrometrics must not have been that severe if they can be here talking with atmosphere and the, the main display working. And yeah, our, our our Hubble program is offline.
1: That's it. Yeah, we lost our screensaver. Yeah, this is just, this is good graphics. Like, I, I suppose the CGI age is better here than in some of the three dimensional stuff because, like, a CGI looking computer generated thing, it doesn't matter that it looks computer generated because it is, and inside the story, it is. I like the dialogue generally. The
0: way they're sort of. Sussing out the situation. You know, I mean, we already kind of know most of this stuff, but they're sort of putting a final yeah. point on it. I, I also like Janeway's stated distaste for uh,
1: um, <laughs> temporal travel.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think, however much you want to call it technobabble, The fact that their temporal shielding is what's sort of throwing the Krenim's calculations out of whack when before they were in inert element because they have had no possible interaction with, you know, a millennia ago, right? I like that. It shows at least some forethought, you know, some, some deep thinking about what's going on here. And, you know, clearly Brandon Braga is enamored of time-changing, time-travel-type stories. Yeah. It's probably too bad that... I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't say that. <laughs> I was going to say, it's probably too bad he didn't get to develop the Temporal Cold War in Enterprise. Uh, but uh, Careful did, what you wish for. He did have three seasons, so... Uh, the name Anorax is pretty cool. Yeah, it's kind of like parallax or uh, prolix or something.
1: That's good continuity, sixty-five thousand light years, because um, they've gotten ten thousand years closer. Right, because they've they've been traveling for. If it takes them seventy years to do seventy thousand, it's a thousand a year. They've been at it about three and a half years, and Kess bumped them another ten, which is about seven. So yeah, they should be just under the 65,000 year mark. <sighs> like, if he had the fine-grained ability to alter time rather than just delete things from it, you figure he could have dangled the whole... I can make it so that, you know, Voyager doesn't get sent to the Delta
0: Quadrant. Presumably, since that's, you know, 10,000 light years away, um, you know, it, I don't see how they could do something that would have that far-reaching yeah. impact. And also it's this caretaker, yeah. know, these sporocysteine forms, which, you know, I, my impression of them was that they don't really live. In our sort of space-time continuum. So I don't know that he could make those sorts of promises. It seems like he might. Eh, they're supposed to be clear of Borg space now, too. Seems like this is the kind of technology that the Borg would love to get their hands on, right? Yeah. So here's another effect shot coming up. The outer bulkheads.
1: I'm like 80% in love with that effect. It looked like preformed puzzle pieces falling off when I think it should have looked more like ripping or shredding, but that's a tiny.
0: Hey, we've been given a casualty count at this point. I would never break up this path, but you so they're going to go to the escape pods, evacuate the vessel, and set their course for the Alpha Quadrant? Huh? Do escape pods have warp engines and replicators and... Food and oxygen. I mean, I could see like getting on shuttlecraft, which presumably many of which have been damaged yeah. or destroyed at this point. So I like the dramatic aspect yeah. of breaking up this crew, but I have some like questions as far as how much sense it makes. I've always gotten the impression of escape pods as short range, right. Lifeboats, yeah. Know, from orbit, yeah. you know, sorts of.
1: And, and it's a cool shot. Like the, I like the, the little, like, grand piano-looking things. Like, we got in First Contact. I think these are hexagonal rather than pentagonal, but um, it's a cool effect. It's a...
0: Okay, so all in all, um, there's a very snappy feel to the writing. Yeah. Um, a lot of... I've often said this about star trek episodes you know like things that tickle your brain or tickle your fancy or get you thinking you know and i think this episode has succeeded very well at sort of tickling the part of your brain that is interested in strange sci-fi possibilities you know uh i think this episode this isn't really a writing uh critique but this episode did a good job of melding writing with graphic design and special effects in a way that would tickle the brain. Uh, so I'm feeling it. Like, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. Um, I think that dialogue was quite good, generally speaking, all the way throughout, too. Uh, I think there's a lot of clever story devices, like the way they talk about counterindications and, um... And I, I think the fact that the temporal shielding has insulated them from changes, you know, and that's how they sort of discovered things. It shows an intelligence and forethought to the writing, because a stupider writer—I don't want to name names here—but uh, a stupider writer might just have the characters figure things out immediately with no good reason, whereas they did not figure out things immediately. They figured things out after a specific thing changed the way they viewed things. And it makes a lot of story sense. Um, how, how do you feel about writing? It's the first part of a 2 part, right? So they can't resolve everything. Right. It's, it's
1: a good setup.
0: I agree. Um,
1: so some of the finer-grain questions about the, the nature of the temporal incursion nag a little, but that's not too bad. Uh, like I said, I, I think this episode is most interesting for really digging in to what it would be like for Voyager to be meaningfully under threat for an indeterminate period of time. It's the thing that was our one of our major criticisms of Season 1. They seemed to trundle along largely just fine, except for the ever-changing amount of their torpedoes.
0: Um, well, if anything, it should have been like Season 2 or Season 3 that they really started to feel the burn. You know, They should have started yeah. to feel... Stretched. Yeah. Like butter scraped across too much bread, you know? Yeah. Um, And they never did. To some degree, Voyager has been in a real sort of limbo between sticking it to the characters and doing this sort of episodic weekly thing. You know, other people may not agree with me, but I always feel of Voyager like it's sort of carrying the TNG torch. DS9 is doing its own thing that's completely different, right? They're in this darker world with political and religious forces and stuff. I feel like Voyager, up until uh, Season 4, has been doing the, well, the future is cool, and we've got cool stuff, and our ship looks cool, and we've got neat technology, and there's replicators, and there's holodecks, and this is like the, the world of Star Trek that you want to live in. Like, I wouldn't want to live in Deep Space Nine. Because, you know, it kind of sucks, right? There's a lot of sucky things that happen, and you know, stuff that's annoying and, and hurts people. And, it's like, and so Voyager has always been, to this point, a little more sunny, right? The sort of sunny vision of the future. Um, and so I feel like that has kind of made them shy away from permanent-ish changes in the negative, whereas this episode is portraying. Uh, yeah very negative things that are changing, and they do seem permanent, whether or not they actually are of course is a separate question And I agree with you that that adds drama, right and it would have added drama prior to this, but it would have been at the expense of the sunny outlook of the show
1: which I would be more forgiving of if they didn't make their desperation or their you know their al- aloneness and all that theoretically a centerpiece of the narrative
0: yeah basically like every six episodes or so they're short on thing x yeah and they need it really badly and it leads to sort of a minor dilemma with an alien of the week right that's yeah. that's kind of what's been going on to this point um,
1: but i agree what we get here is taught it's interesting and it feels meaningful even though by the end of the episode you figure they're going to fix this. Something's
0: going to get fixed somehow.
1: It still feels... Uh, excuse me, I
0: have to sneeze. Well, I think it feels meaningful because of the sort of dramatic weight that Anorax is given. You know, I think Hurtwood Smith's performance sells it. It sells his uh, sort of role and the, the heaviness on yeah. his heart. Yeah. You know, and the, the general sci-fi idea of a race or a culture or an empire trying to restore its former glory by changing the timeline, super interesting. And so, you know, like, I think even if you feel as though things are going to get reset, you're interested enough to see the twists and turns Yeah, and there, of there's enough
1: of... of a through line for the characters. Like, it's clear Janeway is kind of starting to lose it, and they'll really dig into that in part two. And I enjoy watching that. That yeah. is a fun thing to watch.
0: Well, and if anybody can do it, Kate Mulgrew yeah. can do it. So, yeah. you know, I would say the writing is probably four ish, verging on five ish, you know, but the acting is definitely super good. Yeah, I agree. You know, both uh, Kate Mulgrew and Kurtwood Smith as antagonists, you know, excellent, excellent stuff. There's some really nice notes for Tim Russ. For Jerry Ryan, for uh, Robert Duncan McNeil, for Roxanne Dawson, you know, uh, and for Robert Picardo, actually, this is a really good ensemble show. Like, yeah. Perhaps because of the sort of drama, that the dramatic things that are happening, a lot of characters are given a lot of good meaty stuff to sink their teeth into, and there's there's no bum note. In the episode, as far as acting goes, if you ask me. Yeah, certainly. I don't think anyone does a bad job. Um, production values are pretty darn good. Yeah, yeah. The exploding deck 5 was good. The uh... I think the exterior space shots are better than the interiors, generally speaking. Like, the, the bashing was good to a point, but it started to, like, just bug me. And I suppose it's supposed to bug you. Yeah. But it started to bug me into like, oh, this is too dark and there's too much strobing and stuff. Like, I wish they would have cleaned up a little bit. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but the exterior space shots were super cool. The planetary matte shots yeah. and effects were really nice. Uh, the CGI just doesn't age horribly, I would say. Uh, the escape pod stuff at the end was good. Yeah. Um, costuming and makeup... Uh on the Voyager crew was good. Uh I liked the look of the Krenum, generally speaking. Um It's really pretty up there as far as production goes, if you ask me. Yeah. Um
1: So is this a four I think it's at least a four. Yeah. So is it a four or a five? And I'm I'm having an argument with myself. Like, on the one hand it is more of an action episode, and those tend to default to a four almost where like a really good action episode gets you a four because we want something like like scorpion was a four
0: i would say this is better than scorpion yeah i think this reaches for a lot more than scorpion does scorpion
1: like the villain is nuanced like there's things i want in this episode but I'll largely get them in the second
0: part. And that's that's the danger here for me, is I since I know what the second part is like, yeah. I don't want to reflexively give this a five, because I know that they answer some of those questions yeah. in the second episode. And it's
1: not like there's wasted... It's not like there's stuff they did where I'm like, oh, you could have cut that and expanded something else.
0: No, not really. It's very tight. It's a very tight episode.
1: Ugh, like...
0: You know what? I'm going to give it a five, because... You know our sort of statistical, you know, premise is that the fives are the top ten percent of the show. I feel like this scrapes into the top ten percent, you know, of all filmed Trek. Like I would definitely just pop this on if I wanted to watch a really good Star Trek show.
1: Okay, I will put this. On. I'll agree. I'll agree with the five. I think. Uh, like I, I, part of my brain is still like. Well, this is the action-oriented first half of the two-parter. So, is that like, like, like? I'm thinking, like, is this as good as Phage, like, to which we gave a ten? Is this is, and that's the other one, uh, Death Wish. I think Death Wish is a better single episode mm-hmm. than this, just because of the direct engagement of certain philosophical issues, just completely. Yeah,
0: uh, I think though that this is as good as Phage at least. So Phage, you know what was interesting about it was, was that it hinted at such interesting questions about disease and what it would drive you to, right? But it didn't really explicitly yeah. give all the yeah. answers. Okay. I, yeah, M- making that comparison makes this a cleaner
1: thing for me. I'll, I'll go. With, I'll, I agree with the five.
0: You know, I think the conclusion notwithstanding, the debates that Chakotay and Anarax get into in the second part, really, you know, totally sell me on the story yeah. in, in a huge way. Because, you know me, I love a good philosophical discussion, right? Yeah. Um, but even if this sort of stood alone, it suggests enough and it tickles my brain enough uh, that story-wise, it's like borderline. But then when you factor in the acting and the production values, I, I think it, you know, this, is, this yeah. is like a solid double, even a triple off the wall or something as far as baseball goes. yeah i'm trying to think if
1: i were going to stick with the four i would have to i i think i would have to articulate something more i want and especially for a self-declared first half of a two-parter it's a little unfair to you know tag it for whatever it may or may not resolve it raises everything cleanly it'd be like officially. rating the
0: first half of empire strikes back is like oh this movie sucks yeah like i don't get resolution right
1: yeah yeah so yeah i i, I will i will agree with the four.
0: All right, well, All right. Well, I think it's fair to say it scrapes into, into the five, uh, you know, but it's still a ten from the both of us, nonetheless. I think a nine would have been fair too, but you know, uh, personally, I'm comfortable with ten. Yeah. Um, good episode. Very, very interested to see how things get resolved. They've got a lot of balls in the air, and I want to see how they land. You know, um, good show.
1: Yeah. All right, we'll be back uh, for part 2. We're we're podcasting that as well. Uh so uh see you next time. Okay. So, I press stop.